Well, good morning, friends. It is Wednesday, and we are back for Revelation. <clears throat> I know that today was not as well planned um, a Bible study, given that many people will be watching live news right now. Um, and I have to admit to you that I am a big political junkie nerd. Um, and I would also like to watch what's going on on the news. Um, I have seen every inauguration since the late 80s and love that we get to celebrate our country in this way, regardless of where we fall on the political spectrum. Um, this thing that we remember as being regular and miraculous that happens every four years. And so... We're going to be ending a little early today. Uh, we are just going to do 30 minutes of Bible study today. We will stop at 11 Central, which is noon Eastern, which is actually the moment that the Constitution directs um, for the inauguration, the swearing in to take place. And so join me for these next 30 minutes, and then we will stop early and kind of clean up whatever needs to be um, covered next week together. So sorry about this conflict. Didn't even occur to me until yesterday. Um, Central time, Eastern time, that sort of stuff. So let's start with a prayer. We'll jump right in. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of this day. And we ask that you bless us all. Help us to put down the things that worry us and to stress us, that we may make space inside for your spirit to fill us up. Put your hand upon us and guide us as disciples of Jesus Christ, that we may be your hands and feet of love in the world. Today, we remember especially those who are ill, those who need your healing touch most. May they know your presence. May you surround them with skill and wisdom for those who care for them, that they know that they are never alone. And on this day in particular, we pray for our nation. Lord God Almighty, you have made all the peoples of the earth for your glory to serve you in freedom and in peace. Give to the people of our country a zeal for justice and the strength of forbearance that we may use our liberty in accordance with your gracious will through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. A quick reminder, housekeeping stuff. Let us know that you are here. Please say hi in the comment fields if you're watching on social media. Um, check in with friends if this is an opportunity for you to check in with them. And if you're joining us for the first time or maybe you just haven't quite announced yourself yet, we'd love to know who you are and where you are from. And as always, I love questions and comments. You can make those in the fields if you're watching on a social media platform or send an email to meredithrosemrose at stmichael.org and we will make sure to get those questions in now if you ask them now or ask them in the comment section or send an email after this class is over and we collect them all for next week so that we can address them together. I've noted before, but this week we got lots of great messages, comments, questions, and the like, um, and it is so heartening to know just how impactful this is. And so a few questions we just won't get to today. That's okay. I've got them. I will save them for next week. Um, we've got questions about prayer again. We've got questions about the way in which 
people see the world around and how we act, and I'm going to get to all that next week. We don't have quite as much time this week. Um, but there was one question that I thought was pretty interesting that I wanted to um, get into, which is this idea of holy numbers. So last week, we discussed holy numbers again. Revelation is just chock full of numerology. That's what a lot of people like to use, the word a lot of people like to use. For me, the numerology is, in essence, code that readers would understand. Um, as John writes this story, he uses these numbers as a way to reinforce and to undergird his message of hope. Right? John is, first and foremost, writing to these churches and to these people he loves. He wants to give them encouragement and hope for any of the problems that they're going to experience. And that's why Revelation has been so important to so many people over time, is it gives this real word of hope, really grounding us in this sense that what we see is not all there is, especially when life seems really hard. If you consider things like the pandemic that we are still in can seem so hard, this insurmountable challenges where we feel very small. What Revelation reminds us is that through our faithfulness, through our discipleship and the good work that we do in the world, we are helping to bring about God's kingdom. That together we are helping to push forward God's agenda to make God's economy here on earth and that all of the bad stuff surrounding us may hurt now but is not eternal. That God's love and hope and grace is eternal. And together we can help to move the needle, so to speak, to move closer and closer to that reality. That's a story that resonates today just as it did in the first century for these faithful people who are members of the seven churches in Asia. And so Revelation has this sense of having the explicit on top, which helps remind people, and also having this implicit below through these holy numbers to just nudge and be extra little bits of reminders about the good work that God does and how good triumphs over evil. And so you do have these numbers, some are holy, some are not, and we see those holy numbers, 3, 12, 44, you know, those kinds of 40 and then 144, I mean, um, those ideas, these numbers kind of continue on and are repeated over and over again. The question that we received this year, this week, um, was from Melanie, and she said, you know, we've talked a lot about holy numbers. Um, she asked a friend um, about a bar mitzvah gift. She was having to grab a bar mitzvah gift and wanted to know kind of what should she give, and this friend said that a holy number in Judaism is 18. And kind of where does 18 come from? Um, and so, Melanie, I admit to you, I had no idea. And so I went and researched this a little bit. And 18 is one of those, I might call, secondary holy numbers. There are moments in time throughout the Jewish history and also in a little bit of the first century um, of Christ followers, where 18 is kind of behind the scenes, it may not be as explicit as, say, the 12 disciples or the 12 tribes of Israel or something like that. But 18 is kind of behind and repeated multiple times in multiple books of the Old Testament as periods of time, most often. So rather than it being 12 people or 12 tribes, it was periods of time. It was 18 years of persecution before 
um, release from captivity or 18 years of a bad leader before a good leader came in. And so 18 is repeated many times, particularly in the Old Testament. And so 18 is a somewhat holy number, maybe not quite first-tier holy numbers, um, but it does exist and is repeated throughout the Old Testament in a different kind of way, but still important and is likely the root of why um, you were recommended that 18 be part of your bar mitzvah gift. It's very interesting. I'm going to research a bit more of the holy numbers. I really only know kind of those first-tier numbers, and maybe at some point in Revelation later this spring, we'll look at the way holy numbers really plays a big role in the communication of the idea here in the book of Revelation. So let's jump in. Today's lesson, chapter 8, is really divided into two, like they have been over these last few weeks. The first is the opening of the seventh seal and the seven trumpets. That's part one. Part two is where the plagues begin. All right, so we're getting into some juicy revelation story now. As we've noted a couple weeks ago, the seals began to be opened, and we got those first five seals. Then we really had this sixth seal moment, and last week in chapter seven, we really focused on this almost interim period between seal number six and seal number seven. Today, we get the opening of the seventh seal. So let's jump right in. Chapter eight, verse one. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. We'll stop right there. Pause. Just that first verse. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So that's Kind of funny in the sense that it's quite specific for a half hour. Um, But really what happens here is this chapter begins with silence. Now, if you remember, we've built up to this seventh seal. We've had the climactic rise up to this seventh seal moment, and we're expecting a big deal. That seventh seal opens up, and who knows what's going to happen. And what we get is silence. It's kind of powerful. Silence is one of those important ideas that we often slough away as if silence equals nothing. Silence is not nothing. Silence is definitely something. I will tell you, as a public speaker, silence can be powerful. If you note, whenever a public speaker has a moment of silence, people tend to perk up and look up and maybe lean in. As a preacher, I promise you, if I am in the middle of a sermon and I stop, and then begin speaking, in that little pause of silence, I get eyes. People actually look up or they turn toward me or if they're kind of wondering about something or staring at the stained glass windows or making angel marks in the marble behind the altar or something like that, I really get attention because something has happened. Silence isn't nothing. Silence is a very important something. Now, some of you may know that I grew up Um, in music. I was a classically trained musician, and especially when I began as an instrumentalist and played in symphonies, there was a very fundamental idea in music that silence is almost the most important sound that we make as a musician, which seems a bit counterintuitive, but in a very real sense, if we don't live into the silent moments then the moments when we are actually making sound have less weight. I had a conductor once who used to say to us all the time, do not fear silence. If you think about silence, it 
often makes people uncomfortable, right? How many people do you know that have to fill the silence? You know, if there's a lull in the conversation, it just starts, they can start to shake and they get nervous and they can't do anything but just start vomiting words. Same thing happens with musicians and others where the silence makes us uncomfortable. Well, here as the seventh seal opens, we get this period of silence. And this is not three seconds or 60 seconds or a few minutes a half an hour of silence, it reminds me of like the eye of a storm, like of a hurricane, right? Where all this stuff has been swirling around and we know something's coming, right? I mean, the seventh seal isn't going to disappoint, but here we have this moment where there is silence and the anticipation had to have been palpable. What was going to happen? Let's keep going. Verse two. And I, John, saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. We'll pause again, verse by verse, these first two verses. What we have here is the seventh seal opens, and as the seventh seal opens, the seven angels who were standing before God receive seven trumpets. Now, seven trumpets is a pretty important note. Because with seven trumpets, a few different things can happen. When we see trumpets, they are announcing something. Now, that could be good, right? You get herald trumpets at a coronation, or I just saw herald trumpets at the inauguration, you know, the steps of the Capitol building. We hear herald trumpets perhaps at a wedding or maybe even at a funeral. The announcement, the attention grabbing, something's going to happen. Trumpets have also classically been used in battle, right? If you think about a big battle with lots of people, this is before we had digital technology where people could talk to each other through earpieces, you would have to signal people who could be hundreds of feet, hundreds of yards even away from you. You couldn't be heard with just your voice. And so how do you signal what happens at what point in time in a battle? Well, you use a trumpet. A trumpet can play different rhythms, different melodies, and based on those rhythms or melodies, the people at far points geographically could actually coordinate their efforts. Here, we have these seven angels receive seven trumpets. Now, these trumpets are obviously going to be the seal is opened after the scroll itself is opened, and so we can make note that these angels are getting ready to do something important. Let's keep going. Verse three. Another angel with a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. We'll pause there. On the scene comes an eighth angel. So we have the first seven standing before the throne of God, receiving their seven trumpets. Now an eighth angel comes in with a censer. We call this a thurible. That censer receives a great quantity of incense, 
as the eighth angel offers prayers of all the saints. Now, remember in previous chapters, we have the deceased faithful who are kind of in this holding pattern, in this middle place, right? They're awaiting the end. Remember when they were sort of uncovered and they heard the word come to them and they said, just be patient, right? Just wait here. Your time is coming. In a sense, what this eighth angel represents are the prayers of these faithful people. Now, who are the faithful saints, all the saints? We know in our tradition, in the Anglican tradition, there is a sense of saints and faithful departed. We celebrate on November 1st and 2nd, although we do it morning of the 1st, evening of the 1st, um, we do all saints and then all souls. And the distinction here is there are people who have lived lives that are truly aspirational, lives that connect with the Spirit of God in a way that is extraordinary. Those people we call saints, and those saints are ones that we recognize as being seriously above average, right? Okay, so it's, although there could be a saint among us here today, it's not me, right? We are, in a sense, all the souls. And those saints are people that we can aspire to be like, but most of us just really aren't going to be quite that excellent at our discipleship. And instead, we then celebrate all the souls, the souls of the faithful departed. These are all the people like me who are normal people trying to be faithful, making mistakes along the way, but also trying to repent and return and make good choices in the future again. And that faithfulness is what we celebrate with all the souls. So it's not clear here if the angel is offering these prayers on behalf of just saints as I describe them, or if really all the saints include all the faithful. Most of the commentaries I looked at said that really this is a moment where this angel is representing the prayers of all the faithful people, not just the really exceptional saintly people, but all the people who put faith as an anchor of their own identity and of their own life. So those of us who are watching Bible study live right now, instead of the millions watching TV in DC, are part of the faithful people. We've made a good choice, right? You made a good choice with me to be here for even just half of the normal amount of time this morning. And it's those prayers of the faithful people that are being offered here at the altar in front of the throne. Now, what's interesting is we see in verse 5 that the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there was thunder and rumblings and lightning and an earthquake. All right, that period of silence has ended. The angels receive their trumpets. This eighth angel takes fire and casts it on the earth, and now we're really getting the earth action rolling. In a sense, everything up to this point has been John witnessing what's going on in heaven, right? This is that pivot moment when we shift from primarily the action happening here in the throne room of heaven, and now what's happened in heaven in this throne room is spilling out and hitting the actual earth. So we get this fire moment, we get lightning and thunder and earthquakes as the fire is cast down, and the plagues begin. So that's the end of the first section. Um, I saw a question come through. Give me one second while I look. 
Oh, Kimberly asked, what instrument did I play? I played the oboe. I played a few instruments, but my primary instrument was the oboe. Um, and it was, I don't know, that was pretty good. Um, I'll say that. So here we are. We're going to continue with the plagues. So these horrible acts begin a chain reaction that impact the earth in a very real way. Let's look at the verses that follow verse 5. Here we are. Verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets made ready to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were hurled to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many died from the water because it was made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light was darkened. A third of the day was kept from shining, and likewise the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew in mid-heaven, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth! at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Oh my, here we go. What we see here is the beginning of the plagues. If we think back in our biblical story, then we obviously know that the plagues play a very critical role in the great story of salvation. As I've noted many times, the Bible is really this massive arc of salvation, this love story that God offers to humanity, beginning in this perfection and then falling very quickly away from perfection. And Revelation offers this bookend to Genesis where we get the creation and then the new creation. And that new creation with Revelation is what remakes all the brokenness. It heals the brokenness and creates this unity and this oneness in God's kingdom. That real work has been going on in fits and starts ever since the beginning. We see God renew the covenant and remake promises with humanity over time. And we see humanity agree and then break those promises again and again and again. And in the person of Jesus, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, we get this ultimate, complete promise that God makes to humanity to fulfill the wholeness, to heal the brokenness, to bring the world together, and to make it perfect under God's perfect love. In that person of Jesus we see the best expression of this healing power of love, the best expression of this beautiful grace that God gives everyone who wishes to reciprocate love. And it's a powerful moment. In this moment of revelation when the plagues begin, 
there is an explicit reference back to the plagues that freed the people of Israel, right? We all remember that story where Joseph goes into Egypt and becomes a leader and brings Jacob and all of his brothers and their families into Egypt so that they can be kept safe. And then 400 years later, the Israelites are in captivity. They are slaves in Egypt and God delivers them out of their captivity and slavery, sets them free through a series of plagues. Here in Revelation, as God is looking down on the earth and seeing the brokenness, seeing all the problems, seeing all the stress and anxiety, and yes, the evil on the earth, what God does is begin a similar process that through these plagues, deliverance will occur. Through the plagues, once again, God will deliver the faithful, the chosen, the ones who have chosen God back. God will deliver them through the pain and the heartbreak. Now, a reminder, Revelation is all about symbology. Revelation has symbol after symbol after symbol that indicate a deep truth. The deep truth here is that our world is not as God hopes it will be. Now, we can articulate that with specificity as we see fit. We are individuals and we have our own experiences, but what really happens in our world is not everything God wishes to happen in the world. That brokenness is brokenness that God hopes to heal. Jesus came to give us an indication of how that brokenness can heal, And that brokenness can heal through faithful people, returning God's love, remaining faithful, no matter what happens here in this lifetime, because we believe that what we see is not all there is, and that what is broken will be healed through God's amazing grace and love. God is faithful in love to us, and God calls us to be faithful in love in return. Now, we're going to pause there for the day because I know a whole lot is going on, and I appreciate those of you who've been watching live. If you're watching on demand, then know that I appreciate you too and would love for you to send thoughts, comments, questions about what we've looked at today. We're going to finish up chapter 8 and do chapter 9 next week. And so until then, you are all in my prayers. I hope that I am in yours. I hope you stay safe and healthy And we can pray for everyone in our world, especially for our country today. God bless you all, and I will see you next week.